Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime. I am your host, Frank Zafiro. And in addition to my normal co-hosts, the silent but sweet Richie and Wiley and the obnoxious Pasta, I am joined today by a very special guest co-host, the author of the 509 series and my co-author for the Charlie 316 series, Colin Conway. Hey, Frank, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I asked you if you wanted to be on this show for a very specific reason. Uh, you're a big fan of Deb Koontz. Yes, yeah, I, uh, I dig her writing and uh, her uh, as a person. She's been uh, extremely helpful uh, in uh, my writing journey. Well, I, I had a chance to catch up with her and do an interview. Unfortunately, you weren't available to jump in to co-host that as well. Uh, but she had some great things to say, and we are going to get to that in just a couple of minutes. Uh, but first, uh, we're going to hear from Lance Wright of uh, Down Out Books. Uh, as you probably know, Colin, Down and Out Books is the sponsor of this podcast. I do know that, Frank. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who may not know, Down Out Books is a, a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, mostly that from the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. And uh, both Colin and I are fortunate enough to be in their stable. Uh, so let's see what uh, Lance wants to highlight that's coming out in February. Well, hey, Lance, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Frank. Glad to be here. This month opens with... Alan Orloff in the first in a new series of P.I. thrillers, I Know Where You Sleep, features a brother-sister investigative team who is hired by a woman who is being stalked, but they quickly learn that she's hiding a secret from her past that could solve the case. Next up is an anthology from the San Diego chapter of Sisters in Crime titled Crossing Borders. This is our third Sisters in Crime organization that we published anthologies for, previously the Los Angeles and North Carolina Triangle chapters. And we really enjoy working with these fine organizations. They're great collections of stories. And speaking of stories, can we spend a minute or two talking about the Edgar Award nominations? You bet. Hector Acosta, author of a story called Teristas, which was featured in Pocket to the Cepas, edited by Angel Louise Cologne, was nominated for Best Short Story, as was Home at Last by Sam Weeb. It was featured in Die Behind the Wheel, crime fiction inspired by the music of Steely Dan, edited by Brian Thornton. Good luck to both of them. Well, we are so proud of the work that they did, and we are thrilled that we were able to include them in these anthologies. And speaking of short stories, we have a collection from Bo Johnson, this is going to be his third and final collection that features one of the darkest characters I have ever encountered in crime fiction, Bishop Ryder. Title of the collection is All of Them to Burn. <laughs> it's dark. Let me just say it's dark. <laughs> and finally, from our imprint All Due Respect comes a new crime novel, Stay Ugly, by Daniel Baslati, with a bare-knuckle boxer from Chicago on the hook for a hundred grand stolen by his junkie brother from a local drug dealer. It's another noir winner from publisher Chris Radigan. And um, since we're into February, I thought I'd mention that the second episode of the second season of A Grifter Song is out, Upgrade by Asa Maria Bradley. Look for it online, or if you aren't a subscriber, 
subscribe to the season and you'll receive all six episodes plus a bonus episode at the end at a discounted price. Well, thanks for the update, Lance. And uh, I guess we'll hear from you again in March. You bet. We'll see you then. All right. There you go, folks. Some uh, great uh, books from Down Out Books. Please check them out. Uh, there's some tremendous writers who are plying their wares there. And uh, you can you can go on a mission of discovery and uh, get lost for like a year. We're going to talk to Deb Koontz in a minute. Uh, but uh, you've had a chance to read her work uh, before this interview. Yes, I have. And Lucky O'Toole is her main character. What did you think of Lucky? You know, I really like Lucky O'Toole. She is a, a fantastic character, and Deborah writes her as a very strong, uh, opinionated uh, woman. And she doesn't back down in situations that, uh, regardless of, of gender, that might throw some people off. I mean, there's some pretty uh, funny uh, and intense scenarios that she finds herself in, uh, and she goes at it, uh, you know, straightforward. The the other thing I really like about the books is that the characters are all. Uh, pretty wild. And I guess you'd expect that in, in a Las Vegas setting. Uh, but that's one of those things that I really enjoyed is the the variety of the characters in it. Her, her characters all stand out in a variety of ways. You know, it was actually very refreshing and uh, interesting. And it kept me uh, wanting to find out what was going to happen. Well, I couldn't do a better lead in than that. So let let's get straight to Deborah Koontz. Well, hello, Deborah, and welcome to the show. I'm super glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I uh, remember meeting you for the first time down, uh, not down, I guess it's up for both of us, up in Vancouver at the Left Coast uh, Crime Conference uh, in March of, uh, of, of 2019. And uh, you and Barbara Nicholas. Uh, That's true. That's true. We met you in the hallway, I think, and we immediately squared you away to the bar (laughs) which which i guess is like the uh, might as well be the church when it comes to uh to conferences it's where everything important happens absolutely absolutely that's where the conference really happens that's true (laughs) and i think it's really hard when it comes to conferences you know for writers they want to capture the sort of newer writer and help them with craft or marketing or you know all the other stuff that comes along with writing But as you go a couple of times and as you travel up the food chain in your writing career and you write more and more novels and you get better at it, you know, the panels for writers that are new aren't really all that relevant anymore. I was at NINC this past October, which is Novelist Inc., and it's really a business-oriented conference. But And they talked about it in regard to their conference. It was how can we keep making this relevant? to writers as they progress in their career. And I, and I don't think the conference, there's a conference yet that does that, but that would be really interesting. I think. I mean, I've been a panelist on the same basic panel three times. <laughs> I definitely see what you're saying. Um, so there's our introduction of Deborah Koontz, lady and ladies and gentlemen, nothing about her, her novels, just her, her adventures in conferences. Just uh, my opinion, right? As my mother <laughs> told me years ago that everybody was entitled to my opinion. <laughs> I think she meant it as an insult, but <laughs> it, it always plays out. Well, it seems to have played out pretty well in the number of books that you've written because you're pretty prolific. Um, your main series is your Lucky O'Toole series. And 
I haven't read any of your of your books yet. I've got the first one because I joined your newsletter, so it is in my reading queue. But I pulled up the first book, and I just I have to read this first sentence of the very first book for the people out there because I think you'll know what you're getting with Deborah Kuntz when you hear this. Chapter one of Want to Get Lucky. That's it. As her final act on this earth. Lita Sue Stallnaker plummeted out of a Las Vegas helicopter and landed smack in the middle of the Pirates Lagoon in front of the Treasure Island Hotel, disrupting the 8.30 p.m. pirate show. Now, if that isn't in media res, I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) But from your description of this series, that perfectly encapsulates what, what Lucky O'Toole is all about. But maybe you could expand on that a little. Lucky, well, Want to Get Lucky is actually the third novel that I wrote. And when I started writing, I followed the advice of write what you like to read, then write what you know. So those were the first two. And the first one was absolutely awful. And it's buried in the backyard of a house I owned five houses ago. The second one, Write What You Know, was boring, but better. And then I sat down and I was living in Las Vegas and I said, I'm just going to write a novel that I would want to read. And I was learning about Las Vegas at the time. I loved Las Vegas for its mischief, its joy. At night, you can't help but smile when those friggin' lights of the strip come on and it looks like, you know, just out of this world and reeks of fun. And so I thought, well, I'm going to write about Las Vegas. Well, how do I do that? And so I came up with a character who um, is the head of customer relations for one of the big strip hotels, you know, one of the over top, over the top hotels. And she's in charge of all the problems. She has to solve all the problems. And that perfectly set her up to deal with the entertainers, the chefs, the guests, of course, from all over the world, all the trade shows, all the everything. So I could put her in the middle of whatever chaos I wanted to play with in that novel. And so want to get lucky. Obviously, we have we have a, a an unfortunate accident that happened in the first paragraph. And we also have first, first it, sentence. <laughs> I know. And um, well, to be honest with you, I had that sentence for five years before I wrote the book. Oh, that's so. Amazing. And I had to go back and pull an old computer out and fire it up and look for it because uh, I knew that I had written a sentence that really sort of encapsulated what I wanted to do. But at the time I wrote the sentence, I didn't have any of the skill set to even formulate an idea for that novel. I just didn't understand how to put it all together. And as you know, commercial fiction is a skill in and of itself. And so I had to spend years in critique groups and writing terrible novels that will ever see the light of day just to figure out how to do it. And when I thought I was ready to, that my prose was starting to sort of sound like commercial fiction, I went back and found that sentence and it became want to get lucky. And um, I have a great story about selling that novel to New York. I had met an agent 14 years before in Albuquerque at my first writer's conference ever. And I met an agent there. And of course I didn't, I, I hadn't written a word at this point. 
And so I kept her card. And every time I go to New York on business or pleasure or whatever in the intervening years, I call her and we go out for a drink or we go out to lunch. And I didn't want anything from her. I was just keeping the networking going. And so 14 years later, after our meeting, the bill came due on her end. And I sent her the book. Well, I called her up and I said, I've written this book. I've broken every rule that I can think of in commercial fiction. It's really wacky. It's way out there. The male protagonist wears a dress. He's a female impersonator. And and she said, oh, send it to me. And I said, okay. So I sent it to her. And then she tells me the rest of the story, because obviously I wasn't there, but she had a big wingback chair that sat by a bay window overlooking Riverside Park in New York. And one night before she was going to bed, she uh, my manuscript had been sitting on the side table there for several weeks. And thought, well, I'll just sit down and look at it. And so she started reading it and she, and she started laughing and, and her husband walks by out of the kitchen on his way to bed and he stops and he goes, what are you reading? She goes, Oh, you know, that goofy friend of mine from Las Vegas who keeps taking me out for drinks, but doesn't ask me for anything. Well, here's her manuscript. He says, is it any good? And she said, yeah, it's really funny. He said, well, can I read some? So she handed him what she had already read and he goes padding off to bed. She keeps reading He comes back and says, well, can I have some more? So she gives him what she's read again and he goes off to bed and, you know, and they do this all night long. And so he calls me the next morning at 6 a.m. New York time. I'm in Las Vegas, Pacific Coast time. So it's 3 a.m. my time. (laughs) The phone rings and there's this voice that says, you don't know me but I'm a senior editor with Tor Forge and I want to buy your book. Of course, that was my heart was in my throat. I had a teenage son at the time, you know, and a three o'clock a.m. call, even though I was pretty sure he was in bed, you know, had me, you know, on the ceiling, you know, and so I was a little bit miffed and I thought it was a joke, you know, that somebody was playing on me. And I said, well, fine, I'm glad you want to buy the book, but call me back during business hours. And I hung up. And... (laughs) And so, and so about five minutes later, opportunity came knocking and you punched it in the nose. (laughs) Five minutes later, the phone rings again. And I'm like, duh, you know, and so I was just getting my heart rate down. And so I was like, what? And, and he goes, really, really, this isn't a joke. And I know you're awake. So can we talk? (laughs) And so I was like, okay, who are you? You know, and so we had this conversation and, and he eventually bought the book and it was published by Macmillan. And um, but that's sort of how Lucky got her start, which, quite frankly, given Lucky in her world, I thought was very apropos. So, you know, it's fun. I, I like to laugh. Uh, I hope the series is funny. People enjoy it. I write strong female characters, but they're not Rambo in a skirt. You know, they're real women like women I know who are competent and capable and, and still have troubles in their personal life or dealing with parents or kids or, you know, whatever. And so I just like to have a lot of fun with it. And so far I'm on book 11, I guess. So, you know, I think people are having fun with it too. Well, I see 10 of them here on the website already out. Um, yeah, I'm so writing 11. Yeah. Are you uh, able to share the title of that one or is it still up in, in flux? No, it's tentatively, t- well, it's tentatively titled. I reserve the right to change it. It's um, called Lucky Skid. And it, Lucky has a passion for cars. I don't know where she gets it. But she loves 
fast cars. And so there's, she's back in Vegas. She was in Paris, the last book, and she's back in Vegas. And there's a big, um, they call them concours d'elegance, which are big car shows for rich people that have million dollar cars, you know, to come show off their, their fancy cars. And so there's one happening at the golf course at the Babylon Hotel, which is Lucky's Hotel on the Strip in Las Vegas. And she has a fancy little 1957 American Roadster Porsche that she puts in the Concours. And of course, that's where all the all the mischief happens that she gets involved in or part of it. That's the incipient <laughs> um, activities. My dad's into cars, too. And uh, he goes to shows like that. But the kinds that he goes to happen in the uh, parking lot of like fast food restaurants and stuff you know what I mean? yeah i go there too <laughs> i love cars i uh, love 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 cars i love cars i love airplanes um i like to go fast i am really looking forward to getting uh going on this series one of my writing partners uh who you know colin conway he has read several of them already and i i asked him about it because i you know i haven't read any yet and he really likes them as well so oh, i'm uh, glad i'm glad they're just fun you know and initially mm-hmm. i really thought women were my market just because I'm female, I have a female protagonist. And I thought, well, you know, men don't generally, you know, as a rule, pick up novels um, that have female protagonists, especially if they're not, sort if they're sort of fun mysteries, maybe in the thriller genre, they're a little bit more open to that. And it's getting better, better and better over time. But certainly 10 years ago, when Want to Get Lucky was published, um, it, it wasn't quite as... We all weren't quite as woke, I guess, as we say now. But I find that I have probably 40% of my readership are men. And um, it's a pretty, pretty good mix because that's about the mix of people who read mystery period, right? Yeah, like I think so. 40. And so and they love they love Vegas. You know, they love the Vegas idea. And mm-hmm. Lucky is Lucky's abroad. Okay. You know, as it in a nice using that term nicely. You know, she's very competent at her job, but mm-hmm. she's still female, you know, and she's still and she has terrible troubles with her mother and with her personal life that are, you know, provide the comic relief. And I think men like her because she's just sort of real. You use the term that she's not Rambo in a skirt, which I think everybody understands, you know, what that means. How do you avoid that, though? What like does does Lucky approach things differently than a uh, a male character in the same position might approach them? Or uh, is it more about the the background and the rest of her life, not so much the approach of, the, of what's going on in the main story? Well, that's an interesting question. I think her approach to her job is slightly different than a male would have just because she is female. And females take a slightly different tack when you're dealing with a problem or people who are being ugly or, you know, people who have been hurt or whatever women, women tend to, to act slightly differently mm-hmm. than men do. Um, but we both act in a human way. So it's not dramatic. If you were going to try to pin it down, like what, what, what is the difference between that approach? I mean, I have an idea from my time, you know, in law enforcement with working with, with female officers versus male officers, but I'm, I'm curious if, if you see it in a similar fashion or not. You know, I I come out of the legal field. I was a lawyer for a long time, um, and I've also been a flight instructor. So I've sort of seen how men and women act in environments differently. I think men 
are a little bit more by the book, more autocratic, a little bit harder. If situation that they've never they've never encountered before, they lean into it and they take care of it. Whereas women would sort of go, huh, I don't know whether I can handle that. Um, Lucky's not that woman, but um, she definitely leans in. But I think women have approached things a little bit more, not emotionally, that sounds weak, but more on the on the human side rather than the situational side. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that distinction make sense? I, I, th- I think so. I mean, I, my, I noticed that at least in law enforcement, uh, and these are generalizations, of course, I, you know, there's women who haven't done this and men who have, but the uh, female officers that I worked with were less concerned about winning the situation than resolving it. Um, Right. That was a, that was a trend I noticed and that seems to extend to other areas as well. So I think when you're writing a, as a male writer, when I'm writing a female character, I try to keep that in mind that, you know, this person might approach a situation differently and that might be one difference that, that you see. Yeah. Um, I think that's where it came about in building lucky as opposed to deciding whether I was going to make her feminine or not, or more masculine in this situation, it was about building the character that I wanted. And there's no judgment at all in Lucky. She is fiercely loyal to the people who work for her and she protects them like a mother bear. And she puts up with her mother who has a big heart, but is a pain in the, you know what? And so I built I built the character to embody the theme of my story, if that mm-hmm. is. As an, as an overarching theme, I wanted to show, and, and Vegas is actually very much like this. There, there, isn't in a lot, uh, there isn't a lot of judgment there, as you can imagine. Why would there be? Everybody comes <laughs> from somewhere else, and they all have something crazy going on you know, that they want to do or that they're doing. And you know, you, you may live in a nice community and, and a, a, a houses that all look the same. And I guarantee you that, you know, in one of the houses, there may be a high end hooker, there may be a stripper, there may be a naked unicyclist juggler. You know, I mean, you just don't know. It's Vegas. And so I really liked that, um, that people looked at each other as just people. And so I put all of that into Lucky. So when I think about how she reacts to a situation, I think about those characteristics that I built in, into her from the beginning um, that would drive how she responds. And in the, in the second book, there's a, a twist at the end. And in fact, I had written the entire book, had it all tidied up, knew who the killer was, done, went to bed, woke up at two o'clock in the morning and went, whoa, okay wait a minute. And I went and wrote the last chapter, which is a twist. It's all set up. I just hadn't seen it. And Lucky does something that at first glance is unlucky like, if you will. But at second glance, it's like, oh, yeah, that's so totally lucky. And so I think in instead of trying to stereotype or genderize reactions, I, I step away from that and I build the backstory of the character and the personality of the character and then use that to um, explain or identify how she would act in a certain situation. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Now, Lucky, you said she has people who work for her. Um, you've also, you know, you've characterized these as having some romantic elements. I, I, weren't, weren't you nominated or, or did you win a Rita Award for one of these? Yeah, Want to Get Lucky was a double Rita finalist. Um, she and did win, for- but it was such an honor to be mm-hmm. nominated in two different categories and make the final. So that was really, really nice. For those in the audience that don't know what a Rita is, would you... Oh, sure. That is like the Uber Award given out every year in several different categories, but not a whole ton, by the uh, Romance Writers of America, which is one of the largest uh, writing organizations um, in the country. So it would be like winning the Edgar for a mystery. Right, 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 exactly. And and you were nominated in two separate categories for one. I was. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So if if it was nominated in the romance genre, there's clearly romance in it. Um, not having read these yet, I don't know the answer to this question, so I'll, I'll hitch up with it. Uh, is it a consistent romantic interest throughout, on again, off again sort of thing? Or is well, it like a spoiler, romances? isn't it? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. Lucky has an interest in social life. Let me put it that way. All right. We will leave it at that. But the um, to not leave a false impression, these books are not romances um, per se. And the categories that I was nominated in, best first novel. So that doesn't have any anything to do with um, a a strong romance or whatever, I guess. Um, The second category was novel with a strong romantic element. So it wasn't even a romance category. It was just, it was recognizing the book for being a good book and had enough romance in it for the romance readers um, to glom onto that they might like it. So that makes sense. Not, it, it's not a, you know, it's just a fun thread that I play with. Um, and sometimes I balance it more as it comes more to the forefront less and it all depends on what's going on and the series has gone on so long and i have so many sort of attendant characters um to lucky that other people have fallen in love with that i get emails all the time well you know what happened to miss p where's the beautiful jeremy whitlock what's you know what's mona doing you know and all the and so trying to balance a mystery a little bit of romance and all of these um other characters has been sort of an interesting challenge that I didn't really anticipate when I when I wrote the first novel. All right, folks. Well, we will get back to the interview with Deb Kuntz here very shortly. Um, but uh, Colin, now is the time that I reserve for uh, the experts. And by experts, I mean uh, readers, writers, uh, bookstore uh, employees, just folks who have a real inside track on what books are out there that are worth your time and that you should really be checking out. And uh, since you're on the show here, uh, why don't you get things rolling with a, a quick book recommendation? Oh, well, thanks, Frank. The series that I've been really excited about and have been recommended to everybody uh, lately is Jim Ziskin's Ellie Stone Mysteries. Uh, I've read the first two books, and I'm currently on the the third book right now, which is Stone Cold Dead. Uh, These books take place in the uh, early 60s. Fantastic character uh, in Ellie Stone. She is a female reporter, a young woman. She faces a lot of challenges that... uh, a lot of people may not be aware of. 
uh, who uh, live in this time period. Uh, and it's just a fascinating read. And Jim does a wonderful job of telling these stories. And uh, pages turn quick and uh, fascinating. I can't wait to finish this third one and get to the next book. So uh, highly recommend it. All right. Well, thanks, Colin. And uh, let's let's also hear uh, from a couple other folks uh, that have been on the show. Uh, Paul Katz. Uh, Nick Feldman and Laurie Raider Day are going to round out the book recommendations this uh, episode. Okay, this is Paul Katz. I am the author of Disorder. Disorder is a crime, legal crime fiction book. And uh, one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Robert K. Tannenbaum. And he's written a series of books about a prosecutor in New York uh, named Carp, and uh, one of my favorite books by him is called Absolute Rage, and uh, I recommend it. Hi, I'm Nick Feldman, author of Asshole Yakuza Boyfriend and Hungover and Handcuffed, and I would like to recommend a kind of off-the-beaten-path noir book called Black Mariah. It's by Kevin Young, and it's a collection of noir poetry that ends up kind of structuring itself into a pretty impressive crime opera. And as a guy who's not usually a big poetry reader, I got an absolute kick out of it. Highly recommend it. Hi, this is Laurie Raider Day. I'm the author of The Lucky One. Uh, and I'd like to recommend a book called Do Not Go On by Brian Farunas. He's an Indiana author, and so am I. Um, this is a book about a teenager who's been placed in um, witness protection with her family, and she just doesn't go quietly. It's a great book. Well, there you are, folks. Uh, four good books uh, to recommend. I'm going to sit this one out, and we're going to move straight back into our interview with Deborah Kuntz. Well, if if someone were to go to your website, which is DebraKuntz.com, they're they're laid out here beautifully, and there is definitely a, a strong thematic cohesion to to your your books. I mean, they all have neon lettering for the title and and some kind of an image that evokes what what's going on in the in the book i imagine um they're really very attractive covers so i, I encourage people to go go check those out and really grabs you makes you want to dive right in no well thanks so that we rebranded the series uh last year no i think it was the year before and I found a really great cover designer, Glendon Haddix, with Streetlight Graphics. And I just commissioned him and said, okay, we got to come up with, with something that will work for the entire series. And, and he did fabulous work. My son, who's in advertising, uh, came up with the idea of the neon lettering. And then um, Glendon made it all work. So I really like the covers. And... They definitely, you know, you know, when you look at it, oh, that's a lucky book. Right, right. And you say you rebranded. So uh, just to sideline briefly into the insider baseball portion of the program, uh, <laughs> but, but you are now publishing all of these yourself, correct? I am. I published the first four through Macmillan 
and they had the fifth one. I turned in the fifth one, and I just said, you know, they, they let the second book go out of print, and they did. They just did some other things that showed me that perhaps um, their attentions lay elsewhere. And so I uh, was lucky enough to get my rights back, and I just, you know, started down the path of figuring out how to do it. And I can do everything they did, and I can price them the way I want. I books on sale want to get lucky is up for free on all of the retailers it's been free for two years i bet and um so i encourage people if you like to laugh and and you want a little respite from the crazy world go pick up want to get lucky it's um it won't cost you a dime and hopefully it'll give you some pleasure but i like i like running my own business i've run my own business for most of my life. And so this is fun to me. Uh, I have friends who don't want to do any of the business part. They just want to hand it to an editor in New York and say, here, just do whatever it is you do and let me know how it goes. And that's not me. That's not my personality. So I enjoy publishing my own now. And it, you know, it's been, a, it's been a real trip. It's been a super trip. Well, certainly when you, publish independently control is the big advantage and then of course the you know cost comes along with that but the other big advantage is better royalties so without getting too detailed uh would you be willing to answer yes or no to this question are you doing better now that they're your own books than you were when they were they were with the publisher by many 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 multiples so for those writers out there that are trying to decide whether to be traditionally published or independently published, I guess this is a good uh, point that uh, uh, there is more than one path uh, to publication. For sure. And I think, quite frankly, at, at the time that I pulled my books back from the publisher, everybody told me I was crazy because that's that was like the gold standard. You know, I, I had a hard hardcover, softcover deal with a major publisher, nationwide distribution you know, all of that. And they thought I had lost my nut. And um, I did too. And it was really scary. And but I really thought I could do a better job. And I did, I, you know, it's like nobody manages your money better than you. So nobody's going to manage your career better than you. But you have to as an indie writer, you have to still be professional, you have to hire professional cover artists, don't do your own cover hire editors to go through and help you find the plot holes, be in a really good critique group, you know, where other writers will read your stuff and tell you where it's working or where it's not, or where the holes are or what you've missed. Um, hire a bunch of proofreaders. I mean, I bet I have six, eight, 10 proofreaders and still typos get through, but hire a, you know, a professional formatter. And this all sounds super expensive and it's, I probably spend, I don't know, three or $4,000 a book uh, to put it out, but I can make that back so quickly that it's really nice. And, and you're not going to make it back if your product doesn't look professional because people are going to think what's inside the covers isn't commercial level, um, isn't professional as well. And I think if you're starting out as an indie writer and you've never published a book before, this is even more critical to get, as much input from professional editors, professional other writers that are higher up the food chain than you are, 
at the time, you know, don't think when you tap out your novel and write the end, don't think you have written the next great American novel. I'm pretty sure you haven't. And you want to put out the most professional product that you can. And, you know, and also I, I really did get lucky um, with my career. I started in New York. I built a good following through the first four books and what New York did for me. And so I had readers already and a series going and the rights back to the first books in the series. when I launched the fifth book on my own. So I could, could control all the books in my series at that point, And I had readers waiting for them, even though I didn't know readers were since I had been interfacing with the readers myself. Um, but they found me and that was really advantageous to my career. I think it's a great way to sort of jumpstart, um, an indie writing career. And looking back, it was, it was very fortuitous how everything turned out. But you've certainly made the most of that, that, that luck. Uh, you, you have a very active, uh, newsletter that is basically a conversation directly with your readers and you're very prolific. I mean, if, if somebody reads want to get lucky and they like it, they don't have to wait two years for the next uh, Deborah Kuntz novel. They've got, you know, 11 more and some novellas here and then your standalones. I mean, there's a lot of places to go once they discover you. Yeah. This last year was uh, my least prolific year yet. I only had one lucky book out last year. I, um, I got married. I, Sold a condo, bought a house, thanks, moved. My kids called me up, my son and daughter-in-law in San Francisco, and said, well, we've made a decision. And I said, okay, about what? And they said, well, you know, we've, uh, we've decided. We bought a house in Las Vegas. We've decided to move back. We quit our jobs, and we're pregnant. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Slow down a little bit, please. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, why not do all of it at once? Sure, you know. <laughs> And, um, and it, I mean, it turned out fabulously for them. They knew exactly what they were doing. And it turns out they still kept their jobs in San Francisco and have been working from the dining room in Las Vegas. Um, and they now have a beautiful baby boy who is just the light of all of our lives and is not spoiled at all. And um, so, and then, let's see, what happened after that? Well, we had the baby boy come, and then my dad died. And so it's just been one of those years where it was like I had nothing left you know, to, to write. And I've almost finished the sequel to one of my standalones after me, and it will be out next year. The next lucky will be out in May. Uh, and then I have something fun for the summer that is sort of a secret right now. Um, but it'll be out Ooh. in the summer. You've got some audio coming out. Do, I uh, do. Yeah. Oh, thanks for reminding well. me. I almost forgot. Um, when I was in New York, when the books were published in New York, uh, audio uh, put out the first four books in audio format. And then after that, of course, that was on me to do it. And I was struggling along trying to get my my print and digital there going. Audio was a little bit out there. It's very expensive to do. And so this last year, I went back, found a fabulous uh, narrator in New York, uh, Patricia Santomasso. And we started at book five. And we recorded all the rest of the lucky books. And then we circle back and I got the rights back to my first four books just now. And we recorded the first four books. So now we have them all done all in the same voice. We're oh, wow. fabulous. And so we're going to sort of re-release or, or release. I don't even know what we're going to call it. Um, 
the entire series in audio uh, February 7th, which is my birthday. So um, I picked that day. So wow. that's what we're going to do. And uh, so all of the audiobook listeners, uh, they will all be available. And we'll probably do some promos on the first book or two just to introduce the series to people who haven't found it before and who prefer audio the audio format. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. And I don't know. It's a, it's a big leap of faith for me. It was it was a lot of money um, to get them all recorded, but it gives me another another product to to offer people, and I can tap into people who really like to listen to books as opposed to have the time to sit on the couch and ignore family or obligations or whatever um, and read a book. I know that's harder and harder for all of us to do these days with our attentions being drawn in so many different directions. So um, I think it's really exciting and we'll see how it goes. You know, it's been fun and I made a new friend out of it. So that's fun too. (laughs) Well, I think audio is great. I I would say I probably read a good third of my books via audio when I'm in the car or working in the yard or at the gym or, you know, any kind of activity where you can you know, listen to, to that. The biggest competition for audiobooks really is podcasts more, <laughs> more than, sure. than anything else. And so I kind of balance my, my listening time between the two. So we've got uh, audio, big audio launch on the 7th. Uh, did you say May for the lucky? Scam yeah, I'm going to have, I'm going to have the next lucky book out in time for Mother's Day, which I think is May 10th. So it should be coming out about then. But if anybody wants uh, to get updates on when it might be coming and on with sales and all that kind of stuff, just go to my website, debracoons.com and you've got to spell it D E B O R A H C O O N T S.com. And there's a newsletter sign up form. I don't spam. All your information is private. I don't sell it to anybody. I usually email once, once a month, rarely twice if I have something really special to talk about but you know that's where that's where I hang out and I hang out on Instagram I love Instagram I used to like Facebook but everybody gets so vitriolic these days on Facebook I just don't want to hear about it I want to talk about happy things and see pictures of puppies so (laughs) you know well I'm a member of your uh, newsletter crew and I can attest to the fact that it's got great information and is well presented so Audio launch, new lucky book, big surprise this summer, busy, busy person. And we didn't even talk about all the different jobs you've had. We've run out of time because I think that's very interesting as well. Well, just suffice it to say I have career ADD, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, not where your writing career is concerned. Uh, no, that's for no sure. but having done all those different things has really helped in my writing career. Uh, you meet so many different characters and you have so many different experiences that it's a great well to draw from um, in writing. And it's funny because when parents will come up to me and say, well, my son or my daughter wants to be a writer, what should I tell them to do? And I'm just like, live, just go live, have some experiences, understand a little bit about humans interact, interact and how the world works and, and where the friction points are and, and what you might have to say about that. And without without that, you don't have a story. That's an interesting take because while writing is such an introverted activity, it requires so much extroverted experience to to be it able does. to do well. So 
you can be a voyeur in life you know you don't have sure. to actively participate so you can you can sit in starbucks and watch everybody and watch mm-hmm. how they interact mm-hmm. or what they or or you know how they treat the baristas or you know i mean life is full of all kinds of lessons all you have to do is open your eyes and look and watch mm-hmm. be receptive to it well i am looking forward to want to get lucky uh, and I'm really glad I got to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to that for quite a long time, and um, hopefully we'll get a chance to raise a glass at another conference soon. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me, and um, I know I will see you in the bar at a conference sometime soon. Thanks for being on the show, Deborah. Thank you. A pretty good picture of who you get when you sit down with Deborah Kuntz, uh, really vivacious, smart woman. I really enjoy talking to her. And uh, I know, Colin, you were disappointed that you uh, weren't able to join in on that interview. Yeah, yeah, I really was. Uh, not only because of her stories, but just to be able to say thank you to her. When we had the opportunity to meet with her in Vancouver last year up at Left Coast Crime, she was the person that gave me the kind of the push or the confidence, if you will, to start actually uh, getting going with that writing, talking to Deborah, she really uh, gave me that uh, push, that boost of confidence and said, hey, you can do this. Uh, you just got to believe in yourself. And uh, yeah, I can never say thank you enough to her for spending some time with a, <laughs> a guy that she didn't have to. Uh, and uh, it just really speaks uh, highly of her and uh, uh, who she is. Yeah, I was pretty impressed that she was willing to share, uh, you know, I wouldn't call them trade secrets necessarily, but uh, certainly a little insider baseball where, where some of the marketing elements of uh, publishing your own work is concerned. And, and she just uh, was very open and very encouraging. And uh, uh, I've been wanting to get her on the show ever since. And it, it only took uh, 11 months, but we finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. On the next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime, we are going to interview uh, Big Daddy Thuglet himself, Todd Robinson, uh, who's done a number of things and has been the uh, the nexus for a lot of uh, writers connecting. Uh, that's on the next episode of Wrong Place, Right Crime. This is uh, part of the show where I usually do a Zafiro update, uh, but since I've got Colin on the show, uh, let's do a Conway update. Yeah, I, I actually I'm coming out uh, later uh, this uh, spring, I guess I'll say, uh, with a uh, a cozy series, and I'm just going to leave it like that. Um, but uh, you'll be the first one to know. <laughs> well, there are plenty of 509 books available. If folks want to dive into those, uh, including the Side Hustle, which is available for free. Yes, definitely. I'd like to say a thank you to Deb for coming on the show. Thanks, Colin, for, for co-hosting. And uh, Down Out Books for being a great sponsor. And of course, you, the listener, for uh, firing up this podcast every week. Next week, Big Daddy Thug Todd Robinson. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro. And Colin Conway. And remember, sometimes you need to be in the wrong place to write crime. Mm-hmm.